This is the Modern Stoicism Podcast. I'm your host, Adam. Joining me on the podcast today is Chris Gill. Chris is Emeritus Professor of Ancient Thought at the University of Exeter. He has also been a member of the Modern Stoicism team since its inception in 2012. Today, Chris and I will be speaking about Stoicism, social responsibility, environmentalism, and our role in cultural change. Well, Chris, thank you very much for being with us on the podcast today. Uh, I'm really very happy to be able to take part in this in this series. So what I wanted to talk about with you today, um, Chris, was about things like environmental responsibility and political responsibility, but I find that they fall under sort of a general umbrella of the idea of social responsibility um, and how Stoics view that, where the idea of social responsibility in the Stoic world comes from, um, et cetera. But uh, I'll start a little bit by saying that um, I was intrigued to find out when I was working on the Stoicon 2020 board for organizing um, the Toronto event this year that we've had to postpone, that um, you were going to opt to do a remote address or a remote session during that uh, event. And the reason behind that was because of your belief in environmental responsibility and what it means as a Stoic to take that seriously. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because uh, it seemed like there was something in your mind around um, it's, it's more appropriate to stay and, and not travel for, and, and, and create carbon emissions and things like that. Yeah, well, that was, I've, this has been something I've been aware of for some time. And um, I've been concerned about this because, you know, in this, with the Stoicon, we have this big international conference and we encourage people to fly there uh, and pollute the environment uh, uh, and so on. And, and we invite the speakers to do that. And I've been feeling increasingly uneasy about that and feeling it would be uh, feeling uncomfortable about taking part in a conference where I talk about the environment uh, as I did in Athens and have done in other, other um, stoical and, and to say, to, to urge or to, to suggest that the stoic position is to be more environmentally responsible and yet <laughs> to be doing it so in a context where, where we were um, adding to the pollution on the environment, adding to the environmental problem. So that's, that was what led me to say, well, okay, you know, okay, Donald, I'll, I'll do something for Stoicon, but I'll only do it by, by sitting in Exeter and, and at least I won't be adding to, to the pollution. Uh, in the event, of course, we're, <laughs> we're all doing it. Um, so we've um, become more environmentally uh, sustainable through, 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 through a kind of compulsion, really. But I think it's something we, we have to think very seriously about um, uh, as Stoics, if we're going to put our principles into practice. So that's really how that, that came about. And certainly uh, throughout this period of the covid pandemic as well as other activities going on i mean i mean we're seeing one of the worst fire seasons in california's history for example they they literally have fire tornadoes which yes. i think I, I i have friends who live in california and they speak about the uh, the air quality and things like that 
so certainly we feel this so but where so that's the that's what we have right now so where is the starting point for a stoic when it comes to asking this question about environmental responsibility does it come from a specific philosopher is there a writing specifically that talks about this no it's more general than that and of course the stoics themselves the ancient stoics didn't find themselves confronted with global warming they, they just didn't this is a modern problem we've created it um, nonetheless they have ideas they have uh, principles which we can apply since we're you know, we modern people are the are the ones who've caused the problem and who need to respond to it so how does where does it come from well i think there's a variety of things of um, ideas of theirs that you can appeal to for this purpose one is of course simply their idea that virtue is fundamental for happiness so what are the what are the virtues and the virtues as they saw them were the four cardinal virtues of wisdom courage self-control and justice and for a modern person acting virtuously isn't just a matter of dealing properly with other people it's also a matter of environmental um, virtue as well i don't think we can just leave we can't just talk about virtue and leave out what is for, for modern human beings the most fundamental moral problem we have to confront so i think the Stoics who press on us, who, who impress on us the idea that, that virtue is the basis for happiness, would want us to apply that virtue in, in this area as well as others. So that would be, the start, be one starting point. So one thing that I would say that I was thinking about in preparation for today's conversation was, you know, the out of the virtues, one of the key ones is is justice. And you get this general feeling within, especially the Greek philosophies around Xenia and the overwhelming feeling of sort of society and all that responsibility that we have. But I, I found I was consistently coming back to a quote from Marcus Aurelius, which was, or I think it's attributed to him and it may be paraphrased, but around, around um, all, a lot of the time you hear of these analogies of the bee and the hive. And mm -hmm. there's this general feeling of what's good for the hive is good for the bee and vice versa. And I think this is one of those times where that can be applied because you can think, okay, certainly I am, I am only one person and I am not, I, if I reduce my carbon footprint, it's infinitesimally small compared to the overall world. But at the same time, um, we must do what we can to better the situation of our surroundings, right? Does that make sense? Indeed, indeed. I mean, let me read you another Marcus meditation, uh, which really um, expresses this idea. Uh, one should always keep in mind these things, what the nature of the whole is, and what my nature is, and how my nature is related to that of the whole, and what kind of part it is of what kind of whole, and that no one can prevent me from always doing and saying what is in accordance with nature, of which I am a part. So the idea that we are fundamentally part of nature, that, that we're, we, we are, it, it's, it's part of our existence, our, our essence, if you like, that, that we are part of nature is a really fundamental stoic idea. Um, and um, so that's, I think, another strand to it. It isn't just, it isn't just that, that virtue now requires of us that we, we 
we think about ourselves environmentally, but also that Stoicism urges us to think of, of ourselves as an integral part of, of nature as a whole, universal nature. Um, and yes, there is partly, in a way you could say that's just symbolic because um, what each, in, what one individual can do is tiny. But of course, that is what you can do. Uh, as Stoics also stress, you, there, there are some, some things that are up to you, which are within your power, and others which are not. So things which are within our power, we should focus on and, and, and perform. So I think that's another, uh, that is another very important dimension. Um, perhaps while we're talking about this, the, 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 this I think is a very rich theme of Stoic thought for, for the environment, because the Stoics are convinced that the, 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 the universe as a whole has, is characterized by certain, certain qualities, which they see as being wholeness, structure and order. They think the universe has these qualities. And they also think that the universe is capable of, uh, of what they call providential care, that nature as a whole cares for and allow and wants to foster everything in it. Now, our situation now is that we are preventing nature from having order, structure and wholeness. We are we have damaged nature so that it, it, it's losing its its wholeness, its order and its structure. So we have, you know, melting ice caps. We have fires in California. We have floods and 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 uh, other uh, weather events which are related to the destruction of the whole. So part of our job as human beings is to do what we can to repair that wholeness. Um, and going back to the idea of providential care, nature is currently disabled from expressing the kind of providential care it can for all the different elements in it because we are preventing it from having that fostering uh, power that it can to enable human beings and plants and animals to flourish. So I think that there, there are lots of stoic ideas which we can draw on, which, which, which are kind of, if you like, inspirational for, for the, the, the project of trying to live an environmentally sustainable life. I mean, I can totally see the connections there. The, there's one rather large one, I think, that seems to keep coming up which is, um, you know, we speak about providential care, and this is the the ecosystem and the ecology in which we live. In it's it is it is a system. It is a system in place, and it's and I think the the, the yeah. providential care is very tightly tied to this the this idea of structure as well. I mean, the ecology, the ecosystem is such a balance. It's at such mm -hmm. a balance point, especially now, whereby, you know, people keep talking about this tipping point where if we mm -hmm. get past this point. Mm -hmm. There will be no point, a point of no return. And, and this, is yeah. that, this is where I think many Stoics that I've spoken to have sort of said, well, I don't really know what I can do to help prevent that. And you sort of say, well, you know, looking at it from the balance point, like what are you doing that's out of balance? And, and, mm -hmm. and in many ways, some of that is, in, you know, maybe you're increasing your carbon footprint, maybe you're doing something else. Is that, the correct, is that a correct sort of further interpretation? Sure, absolutely. And, and I, it's here, from this point of view, Marcus is a really useful text because he stresses very much the thought that now is the moment for us to act. Now, he keeps on impressing on himself 
the urgency of living up now to the principles we have. Um, uh, you know, time is passing, you may die. Why, why are you not trying to be good now? Um, and, and it's that kind of urgency that we need, we need to have. We need to have it, of course, from the, for the environmental point of view, because, um, because it, we, we have very little time uh, in, in order to, to make a difference. But that's a sort of more, that's one aspect of the general urgency in a way um, that, that Marcus reminds us of. Life is uncertain. It's only now that we, that we, we know we can, can take action. I think with the environment, there's a particular problem actually with this, this t question of time, because people think, oh, well, you know, the worst effects won't be until a bit later on. But the point is that it's only our, our chance of keeping the increase of global warming down to 1.5% uh, uh, of what it was um, uh, in pre-industrial pre times. The time for doing that is very, very short. So people's feeling that, oh, well, you know, it's all off into the future is kind of wrong. It's, a, it's actually an error, and I, but I think that is a, is a, a real problem, actually, with, with, with um, getting people to think realistically about environmentalism. So when we speak about many of the writers in the Stoic world and many of the concepts, a lot of it, as you've said already, is very much based around the now, but as you just pointed out, there's also this, there's this dichotomy, because there's the now, and then there's this longer term effect where we may not see the effects of certain types of extreme climate change for decades. So how do you, how do you uh, try and reconcile that, those two sort of views, the near view of now and the far view of decades from now? How do you kind of reconcile that together? Well, I think in environmental terms, it's clear what the, 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 the only way we can affect, the only way we can have, have a, any positive effect on the distant future is by trying now to um, keep the increase in global warming down uh, now and in the next next two or three years. So I mean that's a matter of if you like environmental science. In the stoic in the stoic perspective, I think they they both want to stress the importance of action now. And I, as I say, this is what Marcus does, it's what Epictetus does, um, it's what Seneca does. They stress the importance of, of, of action now, uh, even though it may only have its full effect in, in the future. And that's partly, of course, because they stress the, they emphasize the, um, the uncertainty of life. It, it is only the present, as it were, that we live in, or that we can we can directly affect, um, and so and so stoicism really does impress on us the the importance of putting into print putting into practice our principles now and not in some uh, uh, indeterminate point in the future, which may never come. So I think there's two levels at which the the now future element can can work, both the environmental and the and the uh, stoic. So I'll take this opportunity then to kind of pivot our discussion a little bit because 
Climate change is a huge issue, but uh, um, there are certainly things that we can do now that we've kind of spoken about. But another question that I get that it that definitely parallels this and the idea of the social responsibility that we have as human beings is is more centered around you know political change, um, judicial change, things like that. And we are living in a time now where where the now seems to be very much in the forefront of everyone because of the things happening now. We are experiencing an incredible contraction of the economy and an incredible shift in the mindset of people around major institutions in our society like government and um, uh, policing and things like that. So, mm-hmm. so you know, that idea around social responsibility, I mean, these are, these again, are concepts that exist in this dichotomy of things you can do now and the, the change that you will see over time. So, but anyways, let's speak more on mm-hmm. social responsibility and, and, mm-hmm. and because I get a lot of questions around this from, from stoic persons about how do I, like, I thought I was supposed to only worry about myself and what I can do, but this doesn't seem to affect me. Do I get involved with these change, these social changes that are happening? So how do you feel like the Stoics approach this sort of thing? Well, the ancient Stoics were very clear on this, that uh, social and political involvement is something that a human being normally does. They saw that as as leading a natural life. Um, So they they were in fact noted for this in, in the ancient world. The Epicureans, um, uh, one of their great philosophical rivals, they said, well, just just seek pleasure, which which they interpreted in quite complex ways. But they were happy to to just focus on themselves, on their immediate life and on uh, creating their own peace of mind. The Stoics, on the other hand, in antiquity were famous for uh, presented themselves and were generally understood as taking a much more communal view um, that we're, we're, uh, we're social animals to be to, to a human being as rational and sociable that's fundamental to us um, I think one area where that comes up very clearly is their theory of what's called oikosis uh, natural human development they think that 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 human beings naturally have two primary motives. Uh, One is to take care of yourself um, by developing the virtues and by seeking happiness. Another is to take care of others, um, our family, uh, members of our community, and in a broader sense, the the human beings of which we're we're part of, the, the human family or human citizenship. So those two motives, care, of your, care for yourself and care for others, they saw as, as compatible and parallel. So, they, um, so just to care for yourself, just to, to say, well, okay, I do stoicism because I want to achieve resilience or I want to achieve peace of mind, that is really only one part of it. Um, it is a part of it, but there is another part of it which 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 goes which which for the ancient stakes had equal importance and validity. One of the analogies that we've used earlier was this analogy of the the bee 
in the hive. And certainly that is easily applicable to society because, you know, we all live in the same place. I'm in Toronto, for example, and everyone in Toronto, we all suffer some of the same similar issues. We have terrible winters, <laughs> and we also, have, you know, <laughs> but we also have issues with transportation and um, polit local political issues and minimum wage and things like that. So um, another, so another analogy that I have heard used within this stoic world is this analogy of being a limb on a, on a body mm -hmm. whereby, mm -hmm. yes, you as an arm, as a finger, let's say as a finger, like a thumb, you have, you can only serve certain purposes, which is to, 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 um, oppose, to reach across your palm and grab something, um, mm -hmm. to give signals of good or bad intent, thumbs up, mm -hmm. thumbs down, for example. But the thumb in that way, it exists in a small, minute world, but in a larger sense, it is part of this, mm -hmm. part of this machine, this, human body that is doing things and i and i that's an analogy that i have used with success when talking about these subjects with certain people do you do you see the analogy as being a useful tool for people as well uh, yeah i can see it can be, it's certainly one they were very fond of um uh, in state context it's very often used you are marcus uses it cicero uses it when he's in a stoic uh, frame um we're, we're part of a, a, a larger body we should think of ourselves as a larger body. Mm -hmm. And they, Cicero uses it very powerfully to attack tyranny. For instance, he thinks that a tyrant is somebody who's trying to destroy the human body. Um, and we, but we should, we should always think of ourselves as part of a larger, a larger, a larger actual body. You know, we are actually a limb. We're actually a body. And they, they, do that analogy out in, in all sorts of ways. Of course, it's a very useful analogy because it, it covers both uh, our life as part of society and our life as part of the larger uh, natural world, the environmental world. So it's a, I think it's a very useful one. So um, you also mentioned in that discussion, you mentioned Cicero, for example, who speaks in a stoic frame sometimes, is not always speaking in that frame of mind. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the questions that I got from someone recently was about, um, they had read the biography of Cato, and Cato is very much um, the, exemplar, the exemplar of a very strict stoic in this sense of, of standing up for what he believed was right, mm -hmm. to the point where he fought... He fought against Julius Caesar and ended up mm -hmm. taking his own life, even though he could have survived, he still, he actually took his own life. He made the attempt on his life twice because he said, I, I, they said, we could, we could sew you up and you'll be fine. He said, no, I'm <laughs> going to go anyways. Yeah. But I think some people in the stoic world they're because they're trying to reach this stillness point within themselves, they see that as a, f a, a huge action. And so what I generally tell people is that there are varying degrees to stoic interpretations of this. You have people like, like Cato who are on the far degree of being incredibly, um, incredibly forthright and you know a bulwark of their time mm -hmm. but then mm -hmm. you have persons like cicero and seneca who worked within the system to try and um, make it work better for those around them so do you mm -hmm. do you see that stoicism is it has an easy allowance for people to interpret across this broad range well, I, certainly, I think Stoicism, uh, people will, will select different parts of it and will interpret it in different ways. And, and, and certainly, um, uh, uh, the people who considered themselves Stoic in the ancient world 
led different lives. Uh, Marcus obviously worked within the system in the sense that he was uh, a practicing <laughs> emperor. Yeah, he um, was the system himself, yes. Yeah, he, but, but, <laughs> but of course that didn't mean in, in those days or in, you know, that you could just do anything you liked. In a way, he was quite constrained by that. Um, the thing about Cato, you see, he thought that he identified, well, the Stoics do have this very strong idea of playing your role, that, that you identify your role in life, um, and that role is important. It's not just, it's, it's important because it's your way of living the life of virtue. Uh, and, and once you've found that role, I'll come, come back to him the way in which you find your role. Once you've found that role, you should carry it through consistently. And for Cato, his role was being a Republican. It was being part of the Roman Republic, which had its own kind of political structure and, and was a kind of way of life. And the reason why he killed himself was because the Republic had come to an end. When, when, when Caesar conquered, uh, won a battle and Cato lost it, Cato knew that the Republic wasn't at an end. His world, if you like, his political world was at an end. That's why he killed himself. So it wasn't just a kind of individual act. Uh, it wasn't just a kind of um, um, a, a gesture for himself. It was, it was that he felt that that, 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 that me, the meaningful context of his life was, was over. So that's, that's something that I think adds to a different uh, character of that. Coming back to the question of how you choose your role, I think one very useful um, idea that we, we do find in Cicero, in fact, but he got it from, from a, a, a stoic context, the idea of the four roles, that all of us can play at any one time four roles. So the first role is our common human nature as, as uh, people who are capable of, of developing and expressing the virtues. So that's role number one. Role number two is our individual character and talents and inclinations. A role number three is the social situation in which we find ourselves, whether it's, you know, in working class in Toronto or, you know, a rich person in uh, Oxford or something. And, and role number four is your your project or career and what the stoic stressed is trying to bring these roles together to establish consistency between them if you're going to lead a consistent life it's got to be true to yourself as a human being yourself in terms of your own nature yourself in terms of your context and yourself in terms of your project and i think that's a very valuable idea i think that the four roles and bringing those four together. And of course, for Cato, he felt that, he, that, that, that his, his kind of coherence of his life was destroyed by the, the loss of the Republic and he couldn't keep his roles together. So then it seems like it's, uh, it would be the responsibility of many Stoics, or, or it could be perceived that it is a responsibility of many Stoics, that they should ask themselves about the role and the society and the situation in which they play a part. Um, and that's, and that's something that, that they should be looking at in themselves. Indeed. Indeed. That's the way the ancient stakes thought about it, that, that other things being equal, then that you should take part in your society. You should form relationships, um, 
they talked a lot about family life. Not everyone wants to have a family life, but I think everyone wants, it's very natural for human beings to want to connect and relate to others um, at an individual, at an interpersonal level and in a social way. And Stoicism points very much in that direction. As I say, that's not in conflict with seeking inner peace and, and, and uh, uh, seeking your own personal happiness because the Stoics thought that that's part of how you do seek inner peace and gain happiness. It's by living what they call the life according to nature, the natural human life. So I'll, uh, I'll close on this one question I wanted to ask. So uh, because you spoke about um, oikiosis, and we actually did an episode on oikiosis earlier in the season with Brittany Pollack, and we spoke about this and this, you know, this continual personal growth that oikiosis speaks of. So would you say that oikiosis being applied in this circumstances, there may, it may be that over the course of a life, as your role changes in a society, in a culture, you, you, you may over time reevaluate as you keep going. You may not always have the same role every time. Is that, is that, is that really how oikiosis um, would be applied? Well, I think it could be. I mean, I think that sort of does follow. I mean, you're, your role as a human being, in a way, uh, and potentially capable of, of expressing the virtues, that doesn't change. Your individual role, your, your, the, your qualities, I think they are probably, they're probably similar. I mean, they may, they may develop and unfold. But the role that can change is the social context, the way you, you, way you express that. And also your project may change. You may come to a different realization of what, what, what's really important for you. So I think, I think the, the Stoics would want to say, well, some of this stays the same, you know, the virtues and the need to express the virtues and the need to, to be true to yourself, to have integrity. But I think other, part, other aspects of it w would change. They're certainly very interested in this whole idea of life as a project, as a search, um, uh, a social church search, as well as a personal one. Well, I would certainly say that uh, our listeners may be, may be on one of those searches themselves at this point. So um, certainly uh, we've talked about quite a few different topics today, social, cultural, environmental. So I will say... Thank you, Chris, so much for being on with speaking with us today. It's been a, a great pleasure. I hope I hope it's I hope your listeners find uh, find it interesting as interesting as I have, and I hope you have too. I'd like to thank Christopher Gill for being with us on the podcast today. If you'd like to find more of Chris's work, find his writings on the Stoicism Today blog at modernstoicism.com, or you can find one of his books such as The Structured Self in Hellenistic and Roman Thought, Personality in Greek Epic, Tragedy, and Philosophy, and Greek Thought by Christopher Gill. Thanks for listening to the Modern Stoicism podcast this week. If you'd like to learn more, head over to modernstoicism.com where you can find articles, courses, our Patreon, and other resources. This week on the Stoicism Today blog, Greg Sadler has continued his series of interviews with the speakers for the upcoming virtual Stoicon, this week speaking with Donald Robertson. You've been listening to the Modern Stoicism Podcast, the official podcast of modernstoicism.com. Check out all of our episodes at modernstoicismpodcast.buzzsprout.com. 
And if you like this content, consider rating us or giving us a thumbs up on your podcast platform of choice. You can also find us on Patreon, where patrons get access to exclusive digital content. All music provided by bensound.com.